everyone. Welcome back to the left page. Yay, we're back. I am Frank, your historian with many, many books. <laughs> uh, many, many books. Yeah, Frank has has gone on a buying spree of books. <laughs> I have. It's a lovely time of the year where there's the, <laughs> the massive discounts from many, many publishers. This time yeah, yeah. it's not going to be... Uh, in person, but you know, uh, still quite a few books, fun stuff. <laughs> I haven't bought many books yeah. this year, even though I've read a lot. So this has been great. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my great, great friend Bruno. Hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm poor, so I can't buy any books because I I spent all my money on the <laughs> the New Year trip that I'm going to do. So. <laughs> But I, I at the same time, I already have enough books that I haven't read that are here on my my personal library. So it's better th this way. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say my uh, we have a a running joke. I say joke uh, <laughs> between me and other other folks at the romancing the gothic, and uh, that our to be read piles are close to, a, to reaching critical mass and acquiring sentience. Yeah. And they're going to kill us. Or just <laughs> force us to read them. Uh, uh, we don't know what will happen then. But they're, they're quite mighty. So, exactly. yes, the, the, the ratio to read and not read books, it's, uh, it's in a constant decline because there's always more books to be read, which are amazing. Exactly. Uh, and <laughs> I can't read that fast yet. Probably never, but that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we will have to acquire, I don't know if you, if you guys or Frank anyways have seen the Doctor Strange movie where he studies, uh, where he is, uh, his soul studies while he sleeps. The, the first time that I saw that, that scene, I was like, holy shit, that's, a, that's exactly what I need for my life. <laughs> Reading at night without insomnia? How? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need that in my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's some good early banter to get us off. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we're back. We're back with this time with a slightly um, lighter episode, kind of say. Yeah. Not really, but considering the intensity and the gothic horror of uh, the Ligati episode, Halloween and October, this is yeah. uh, quite a nice change. Exactly. Today we're actually going to be talking about uh, it's going to be quite narrow in the short, short, short story. Uh, it is from Neil Gaiman's uh, Nordic Mythology. Yeah. Neil Gaiman is an incredible writer and graphic novels, comic book writer. I'm not sure if you've read it yet. That that could be a fun idea, actually. And not specifically what, this, like graphic novels. But Sandman, which is amazing yeah. uh, on so many fun levels. Uh, so mm -hmm. dark. So cool, love the aesthetic, but he has a wide variety of writing and novels and this play thing, playing with various mythologies and mm -hmm. ideas. American Gods is quite interesting as well. And this in particular is sort of, I, I am, I very much appreciate the, the honesty about it, which is like what he did was that he went through these various Nordic mythology stories. And so, like, okay, so he got this feeling of, like, stories told around the fire, and how mm -hmm. do I retell them today 
but keeping this sort of spirit, really, of what these stories are, but with this energy of, like, telling in an intimate environment, uh, over a drink, over ale, over mead, and I think it's quite successful, it's quite fun, it's a very light, it's very quick read, uh, if it's sometimes quite heavy or interesting, as these myths are oftentimes can be, and... We're specifically going to be talking about one story, which is the the mead or the honey mead of poetry. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I'm kind of, I'm just going to get from the <laughs> the, the beginning of the story because it's just so like yeah no I I, I th- th- this is peak Nordic or peak uh old world mythology, uh, which is like. <laughs> Uh, have you imagined how where poetry comes from? Uh, where is it? It's a very long story, which is credited to no one. In it, there's murder, cheating, lies, foolishness, seduction, and pursuit. Pay attention. So, you know, like, it's a very <laughs> mellow, murderous, bloody story about how poetry came. So, you know, let's have fun. <laughs> and uh, Bruno did set up quite uh, a few interesting ideas and topics which we can talk about but yeah. for a very brief summary of the story uh, we have this particular character which is Kvasir, Kvasir and yeah. he was basically like a very wise deity who went traveling around the Nine Realms and he was also gifted with poetry but he is uh, at, at a particular point like cheated or deceived by two dwarves who yeah drain his blood to make the perfect mead that, when drunk, will give you the gift of poetry and complete intoxication, it's also said. And these dwarves, like, because of hoarding it, and only they to drink it and and whatnot, eventually one of their debtors, I believe, a giant, and his wife are, like, come to collect, but, you know, since they're not particularly nice... (laughs) They deceive yeah. them and kill them both. Yeah, the dwarves are like evil Cheech and Chong. They like come across a, <laughs> a gigantical uh, source of getting high all night <laughs> and every day of their lives. And they do their little adventures, but they are evil. So they are not like mellow and uh, marijuana high as Cheech and Chong. They are just some evil motherfuckers. <laughs> Yeah, who go, who go doing stuff? They're very murderous, honestly. Yeah. It's like yeah. they, okay, okay, they killed the deity because okay, and drain their blood, uh, which is not particularly nice. And then they killed the giant and his wife for yeah. no apparent reason, no other than reason. like, yeah, yeah, we owed you, but we don't want to pay you, so we're just gonna kill you and your <laughs> wife too. Uh, so eventually, <laughs> because. Uh, because that's the way things go, because of the gift of poetry that they now have, they keep proclaiming these stories every night when drunk, uh, especially yeah. how they killed uh, a giant and his wife. <laughs> so eventually the, the son catches up with them and yeah. sort of uh, ties them to a rock so they drown, but they offer him the, the mead. And after a little while, it's like, okay, I'll let you go and I'll, you give me all the mead. And then they're like, oh, we, we did it. We cheated him and we're still alive. <laughs> Even though he lost the meat. Yeah. 
But what happens then is that, like, at this point, Odin catches on and goes to, like, okay, uh, I kind of I want this. So he basically cheats, lies, and seducts and seduces his way through... <laughs> through a mountain and a giantess. <laughs> That's a rough way of putting it. Uh, but yes, through this giant's family. Yeah. He kills nine servants for no reason, other than like, oh, that's a nice way to weasel myself in. Yeah, like, he just dabs on them, dab on them haters. And just... Pretty much. Like, peak <laughs> Odin, honestly. Like, yeah. <laughs> senseless murder, seduction, and lying? Sure, yeah. I'm in. Uh, and then absolute stealing, because that's what he does. Yeah. All of it. Uh, he steals a lot of the meat, because, like, there were... The way we like to believe is like gigantic barrels. It's yeah. just like just huge barrels of mead. He takes it all in like three sips, three gulps. Yeah. He's like, well, <laughs> he got it all. And basically steals it for the, the Aesir, uh, which are the, the gods of Asgard. Yeah. And Thor and the, and the like. Um, and he escapes and wins. And also screws the the guy who had uh, retaken the or taken the the mead from the dwarves uh, uh, by shitting the meat, part of the mead on him and basically <laughs> cursing him with bad poetry. Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite part of the story. It's a funny bit, honestly. Uh, it's not particularly nice because you know I I think the moral stance in in most of these stories and in Greek mythology it happens with Zeus as well. You don't, you don't really want to be on Odin or Zeus's side because, you know, they're, they're, you want to be because, you know, they win. But they're yeah. also very, very terrible beings who basically yeah. screw everyone over. Even if Odin is more on the intrigue side and Zeus is on, like, uh, you know, the rapey side. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, very bad, but, you know, they win. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, although Odin gets his comeuppance at the end and Zeus never does. But yeah, and the the ending of the story is that like whenever someone has like the gift of poetry is mentioned that they're like, oh they're gifted by Odin. Yeah. And that when they uh have terrible poetry, that they drank the wrong mead, the one that didn't yeah. come out of Odin's mouth because he swallowed it up and vomited it all. Uh he shat the wrong one. So Yeah. You know, that's it, it, it it's it's that nice ring of like, oh, it's the the saying or the thing. Yeah, the, 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 that's that's a fun bit. I, I don't I don't have much contact with Nordic mythology other than like, yeah, me neither. Some stories I've heard from like myths and legends, uh, which yeah. is very good. I recommend. But if you want like the the next level, uh, the the academic and scholarly version, I recommend uh, I see Cedric's fabulous folklore. I've mentioned this before, but I'll come up with this again because it. It's relevant, because uh, yeah. she does go on to, like, various myths, and, and especially, like, Northern Europe and the like, of where they come from and the historical roots, rele relations, and relevance. So, very, very good. It, it's, it's the stories and, like, the stories on the stories and the actual history of it. Yeah. So, yeah. that's, um, yeah, she's good. I recommend. Um, yeah. Also does good writing workshops every once in a while. So, also a good. So yeah, that's the the very fun and interesting story we're on about. Yeah. 
where do you want to take us first, Bruno? Yeah, I, I was just thinking about that, that first thing that I wanted to talk about, which is this sort of... Because Kvasir, he's born from this kind of war between the Aesir and uh, the other group of gods that I don't... Yeah, the Aesir and the Vanir. And the Vanir, exactly. And he's this sort of nature force of knowledge, basically. Like, he he's born out of out of nowhere but he's born from the the spit from from both of these uh gods groups yes and I, I and i was thinking how as he he's killed and he nourishes this mead i was thinking how how this this image is the exact image of the muse and i i was thinking how we we tend to say and uh, bear with us because uh, me and Frank we always talk about writing and 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 all of those those aspects of writing and I think this myth is a perfect way to analyze how things work in, in writing and inspiration because in this case the muse is a a channeling figure between man and this absolute knowledge which uh, Vasir had. So we we tend to say even that even the most uh, condecorated poets of the past say that oh I had a a moment of where I had a like not going to say a vision but oh I had a moment of inspiration and I saw this uh, I had this image in my head of uh, this thing that that made sense inside this 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 poem, and I it, it's it's really intriguing to me because uh, sometimes the muse seems to be such a a futile way of saying like oh yeah the muse uh, all of the sudden I was there <laughs> lying smoking a cigarette and then all of a sudden a, a poem materialized inside my head and now I know how to write it. But even though it sounds futile, it is, as I said, to me, uh, after reading this myth, is exactly like the muse is just a figure, is just a fake figure to basically saying that there's a channeling, there's an inspiration of... Uh, turning knowledge or turning your wisdom in poetry. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that's that's exactly what I I wanted to say. It, it's it's kind of a a complex idea, but at the same time, it, because the muse it has so many. Uh, different traditions and different ways of talking about it. Like, I think even you said uh, one time, that I, I know that the phrase is not yours or the idea is not yours, but that, uh, that, that, that notion, which is that you should sort of not pray, but uh, how can you say like, yeah, like worship in a, in a way yeah. like, like cultivating and worshiping the muse is a daily task because uh, the muse, even though she doesn't exist, you can make her exist in your mind to become a sort of a tool 
to nourish this kind of capability of poetry inside of yourself, this sort of notion that you need to nourish and to believe in this muse so that you can be blessed by her. Yeah, it's an interesting idea because it's almost like it's almost yeah. like it's an interesting way of how do you grow your own poetry, your own writing, and you mm -hmm. focus that belief in yourself, but by channeling outwards and like thinking of the muse and cultivating your muse, it, it's almost a way of like almost tricking yourself, sort of dodging. <laughs> and, and I think that that works for me in a way that I hadn't thought about before. You dodge yeah. like, in, in, you help dodge at least imposter syndrome or and insecurities exactly. about that. Exactly. But like, oh, it's not. It, it's the muse that it, that will assist me and not. Well, maybe yeah, but but in truth, uh, what you're doing is like cultivating your own writing, your own thinking, your own specs about it. And yeah. inspiration, I find so I find so interesting because it, it, it's both. Because that that has actually happened to me, like an idea that like popped into my head and like, oh no, I need to write this, and yeah, I did. Yeah, exactly. And it became a very large and interesting story. Yeah, it happens. But at the same time, while that while that is a thing, and like inspiration exists, uh, that's not exclusive. And the hard technical work, I, I think that there's something for me at least. There's something freeing about that because it. Well, yeah, that inspiration can come all of a sudden, and even from a dream. Yeah. The hard work of actually, like, you no, know, sitting and writing, or coming up with ideas, or thinking and drawing out these plans, that works too, and that's yeah. important, and and that's even more crucial than like the sudden burst of inspiration. Yeah, I think that the the figure of the muse, it's it's almost like a way of tricking yourself, not tricking yourself, but it's almost like religion because you are trying to take some of the shores out of your like relieving this weight out of out of the writer's back mm -hmm. it's not it's almost like it's not the work of the writer to uh find inspiration and then to transcribe this inspiration into writing it's almost like it's a a job that's done by by two it's the uh, it's the poet or the writer who nourishes and worships this this figure of the muse and each poet and each writer has its own muse and its own way to talk in with, with this entity and then when he's blessed by this entity he then does the as you said the technical job as the muse pleases basically but it's is this sort of way of taking out some of the weight of being responsible for the inspiration for the ideas and for the work and for the 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 fine little work of that goes into making a good book and and the refinement and and or, or even poetry of thinking about the exact word that you need to use and some things like that and i mean uh this this notion we're talking about like it's it's something bizarre but at the same time the muse is basically uh how can i say it like it's uh a consciousness 
which is more more associated to art and to expression but it's it is ourselves but is it, it is a part of ourselves that we need to cultivate so we can have so we don't feel ashamed of expressing ourselves and and it's it's almost like a psychological endeavor of freeing ourselves so that our internal muses can talk in our ears what we really think and what we really want to express, and then we can express it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes some sense. Yeah, because uh, I, I was thinking about this while I was while you we were talking and while we we were talking here that this this sort of figures today they get like sort of a if you come to anyone on 2020 and say oh no because i need to nourish i need to work so that my muse can help me people will look like man shut the fuck up like <laughs> you're crazy man but at the same time we have so at least in brazil we have so many traditions and so many encouragement to oh you need to discover your yourself in your own mind and you need to free yourself so i mean it's basically the same process but one process is a bit more romanticized and the other process is a, a bit more psychological and more uh linked to maybe psychology and psychoanalysis and trying to understand your own brain but you can do the same process by trying to understand your own muse. Yeah, I think I think I like at the at the end of the day, really uh, writing writing poetry and, and this relation with uh, a more creative side of us and the technical one too. It, it has both a very serious technical hard work involved, and it has this inspiration, this creative, this expansive element. Um, I think a lot of what we usually try to do when we're talking about it is to both bring like this very concrete reality, like these material conditions, and we're going to talk about them very soon. If there's yeah. anything you want to say about it, about this subject before, then then I think that's a nice transition yeah, to yeah. what you mentioned earlier. But we don't want to also like there is beauty in writing. I think <laughs> yeah. there's something incredibly interesting, incredibly rewarding in it. It's so much fun. Like yeah. the, the other day I managed to, to start a short story that I've been meaning to, I've been thinking about there, there are a few ideas I want to work upon. And this was one that I kind of wanted, not really, but it's been quite fun. And I was like, when I started writing, I, I was just so electric doing it I, I almost, my, my consciousness at the end of that day was like so erratic because it was yeah. excited to actually like yeah I'm doing this again this is so yeah. much fun writing for me it, it's something very special and uh, it's important to us and to me and to Bruno to like be able to share on this and encourage people who write or who want to write or who enjoy writing to do so and yeah. for me like Writing is very important in ordering my own thinking and how I can concentrate and, and work myself. And like, it, it's it's many different things, but it's also one way for me to sort of like all my internal issues, focusing myself on like this external writing 
uh, is a way of like when getting back to myself reordering those things. Yeah. So that's quite nice. Yeah. And I think I think that transitions perfectly to what we're going to talk now. Yes. That is the sense that I I wrote some basic like uh, central phrases of what we want to talk about. So I was going to talk about that even poetry, which is sort of seen as this beautiful endeavor and this thing that uh, it's this aesthetic pleasure and this soul healing like uh, process. Uh, even poetry can lead to treason and jealousy, which is what we find in the whole myth, basically. Yes. And 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 even uh, I'm uh, as Frank was saying, I I can go even further, and and it's not even treason and jealousy between people, but maybe even sabotaging yourself because if you're not attentive to the process and not attentive to thinking about writing as a personal process and a process that can lead you to think good things and and lead you to to a more free state of mind you can get into these sort of traps that are oh i need to write that kind of uh, that kind of literature or oh my god i'm writing it's been 10 years that i'm writing and then all of a sudden this this person uh, starts writing and in a year he uh, he becomes like a, a renowned writer and, and is published and things like that. And it's, it's this sort of dangerous way of thinking about poetry because in the end, poetry or literature in itself, it's art and it's expression and each person will have its own expression. Each person will have its own way of dealing with life and stuff and and yeah, subjects yeah. and so yeah. it's it's really walking like the this thin line between th this muse and this sort of of demon that is that is trying to compare yourself to others and try to uh think that you should be making money with your poetry and you should be being like famous with the things you write and getting jealous about other people and sabotaging yourself or even sabotaging other people. Uh, we see people getting jealous and trying to sabotage other people in many of the arts. There are people who try to sabotage paintings. There are people that put broken glass inside of uh, ballerina shoes so that a ballerina that has the, the solo on that night fucks up her, her feet. So she can never dance again and the, the the story goes on and we as we read this this myth we think oh my god like there's so much treason so much uh horrible shit going on but it <laughs> that's the whole uh the whole thing that i love about myths that is it, it really captures how we actually deal like how we human beings deal with this sort of uh, treacherous feelings and these bad or good feelings we, it's it's a bit ugly to look at them but it's it's really it, 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 it's the the crude reality yeah it's what I, what i've been thinking about especially when you mentioned this out right before we started recording was that it, it it's quite clear how how the, the the reality of the situation of like 
economic, political, social conditions are key to poetry, to writing. And it's something we've talked about numerous times, and we're going to keep talking again because to face poetry and to face writing and to face like any sort of creative art, um, to face it like historically, to face it politically, means understanding its conditions, understanding its material conditions. It, it's, it's that call. And it's, yeah. it's almost a cliche at this point, but it, it still it needs to be said, needs to be done, because it, there is no such thing as pure art. Yeah, that's a, that's a blatant lie, because yeah. what happens is when you write, there's both a contact with uh, your time and your what you've read, what you've written, what you think, but. Yeah. To go beyond that, your success, if yeah. we can define such a thing, fame, whatever, that's deeply connected to <laughs> to your economical reality, to who you are, yeah, to where you're your born. social to... reality. Exactly. exactly. That yeah. is essential. And what this retelling of the myth tells us is that these, uh, these violences towards art have always been there. That's at the root of it. That exactly. creating in the, in the in the conditions that we have in these sort of where this is a, a source of competition with the source of rivalry of of possession. I think that's an interesting way to think about it. When it's source of sole ownership, it will lead to conflict, violence, and death because it's not a, a collective creation. It's not a collective enjoyment. It's like no, it's these select few who can own this gift yeah. it's not something to be cultivated to be learned to be shared it's still in the territory of no you have this you own this it's yours alone it's in the individual sense and in this especially when today drawing out uh, these comparisons this difference uh when this can be a source of like prestige and fame and money in, in a certain cases that can achieve very bad very shadowy proportions very quickly yeah. as it does yeah it's uh it's a violent field uh yeah. it's not something that is talked about a lot but like uh and i was mentioning to bruno as well i was listening to uh, a magnificast episode because I've, I've been quite late so i've been catching up and uh, i listened to an episode with dominic knowles who is a poetry editor for Prodium magazine and it's a, an incredible episode and amongst other things they mention how poetry and arts in general, we, we've talked about this, has been in league with power as well. Exactly. If we think Rudyard Kipling, for example, he's a pretty big example of like supporting colonialism, supporting British imperialism. And that's okay, that's fiction writing, but poetry as well. Like It, it draws on these connections, it draws on power, it draws on these realities to feed on them. Yeah, that's that's just the, the 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 conditions of it. That's how it has been done and has been replicated, uh, in its own creative spirit and in interesting forms and ways, which doesn't take away from the fact of reading them, of getting to know them, if we're interested, if we want to learn of them. But yeah. it adds these elements. Uh, that's the the urgency, really, that Edward Said adds when he talks about culture and imperialism which is an amazing book, I highly recommend it, because it's like, 
No, it's it's not that because it's it's the fallacy recently that like uh, when uh, right wingers are going to talk about like questioning what they what is like identity politics and this oh uh, oh they say that like oh we shouldn't reduce uh, Shakespeare to oh but it's all about men and whatnot and oh what are you saying we shouldn't read them that souls should have been oh this particular no it's that's of course there can be people who can say that we shouldn't read them and like fair enough yeah. like. If, yeah. if you don't want to, like, props, fair enough. <laughs> no, I'm not going to get you for not wanting to read it. Yeah, exactly. But no, exactly. it's like saying, no, no one should read this. This is something that should be forbidden. It's like, no, it, it's about adding new elements to the discourse, to the critique, to the analysis. It's like, exactly. yeah, no, the, these are people who have, these are basically white European men. And yeah. the fact that this high amount of power, privilege, and economic reality to various yes, degrees, of course, it's present there. It's like yeah. connecting with power changes your perspective, and you know that should be something considered when interpreting your work. Yes, exactly. If you live in, if you are connected, and if you're supporting the largest colonial empire in the world, that is definitely something that should be taken up into consideration. <laughs> if that shows up in any way, shape, or form in your writing. Exactly. It's common in like um, several like gothic novels. Like, where does like the money come from? And a lot of the time, it comes from like the colonies, and that's a very shadowy image. But yeah. it's it's that connection, like, and that's very particular of like a, a British literature in a particular time. And that's something that's not like that disavows entirely. That's like, oh no, this should not be. But very few people are actually saying that. Yeah. People who are like taking the time, who are being sensible, who are doing like the research, who are doing the readings, they're wanting to add more elements to the discourse. They want to add elements to the analysis. And when we talk about poetry, and like, no, but this is the person we're talking about. This is the conditions they're reading them. They're writing it. Uh, this it, 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 this is the historical reality, and this is also what we're encountering in the writing when we're doing this uh, uh, twofold work. We are considering both, like what can at times be at radical beyond the author itself. So, like we put the author aside and taking a look at the work as the yeah. work, connecting yeah. with the reader and what how far it can go beyond the work itself and its time. But we also draw on the writer to like. Okay, so this is what they're doing. This is the limitation of where they're going. And okay, its work can take us further, and that's great. Or it can only take us so far because of the X, Y, and Z. Exactly. This two-fold analysis, I think, is the key, and it's a constant tension. Like you don't escape it. You don't escape it. And I'm saying this as a historian uh, <laughs> working with the literature. Like doing these two things at the same time is. It's hell, uh, but it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like how there's no easy answer. That, exactly. That's, the fact that it is a constant tension, and that's and that might just be me, I'll take the credit for it, uh, it's liberating because it's yeah. like, yeah, there's no easy answers. Like, you need to go through both of them. You need to understand the, the historical, the context, like, what, what were they doing? What were they trying to do as an author and as a person in society and in reality and in, in their condition? But looking at the work inside of it, looking what it takes as a work of literature, as fiction, is also incredibly beautiful because 
yeah, so, some of these works, like, just... But uh, to take us back to something we did, what we talked about in The End of Eternity by Asimov, like, I have qualms about that book, and I don't like it. But <laughs> it was still really interesting in what it could take us beyond it. Yeah. And that's, that's like, the key. That's the key to the discussion. And that's reinventing. That's, that's a retelling of stories, of literature. Yeah. And, and it comes back perfectly to what I was saying, that this the sort of uh, process of the, the writer or the poet is a process of critics and a, and a process of uh, always trying to uh, better yourself in a way that is not about progress, but is a way about critics and, and looking at, at what moment you are. You need to look at the muse at the same time that you need to look at yourself and need to look at society and see if you're not trying to express yourself just because you want the fame or just because you want the money or if you're not uh, nourishing your muse in a way that you're just trying to recreate things that have already been written and you're just thinking about uh, trying to be as successful as a Shakespeare or as a Baudelaire or as anyone, basically. And as you said, like, literature is such a, a great thing. And <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's the reason why we do this podcast. Pretty much. That is, it is always a, a hellish <laughs> a job to do, but it's so fun because uh, it's expression. And when you try to 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 look at it in, in any way, uh, when you try to write it and when you try to rewrite it or when you try to translate it or when you try to analyze it, it's always a critical and it's always an active process. It's, it's never alienation. It's never... A way of and, and and as you said exactly like when when you get those people that go like the, the the two the two parties like when you have people that say oh no this is forbidden we can't read aristotle anymore because he was a uh, wanted slaves and and things like that or or the other way like oh no but uh it's, it's just shakespeare he's talking about love we we, we don't need to <laughs> analyze the social meaning behind those things no the, the whole point is literature, even if it's a thousand years old, even if it's Chinese poetry before Christ, or even if it's a book that was published today, it always has this incredible power, this incredible intoxication of this poet's mead of being able to analyze and being able to make things deeper, to make life deeper and, and more meaningful to analyze things that are from the past and are from from today and and complex fine things and and, and trying it, it, it's this sort of notion of uh it, it, it's the paradoxical notion of of bettering yourself without progress you don't necessarily need to progress uh like the, this classical notion of progress of always going ahead no it's this notion of uh, taking things in perspective and looking at it and getting deeper sense it's it's not about going it's not about going uh uh how can i say it it's not about going uh ahead but it's going deeper it's going inside of yourself basically yeah no i i think that makes a lot of sense because it's it's never about. I, I think there's there's a variety of positions there. Like when because I I 
I firmly believe that a, a majorly that, that there's a great deal of fallacy there and creating straw men of like different positions of how this criticism happens. But in reality, like I, I completely agree with what you're saying that like literature and not just literature, but like all the, this work is like it's it's our legacy as collective humanity. Yeah. Trying to to grasp at that. And yeah, a, a lot of it's going to be bad. <laughs> a lot of it comes out of Odin's ass. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well said. Because because that's just how it is. Uh, but that's fine, and that's not a problem. It's not a problem that a lot of people's bad, and that there's a lot of bad in pretty much everything. That's fine. That's just how it is. Like, that's humanity. That's, people are full of problems. Uh, in various ways, shape, and forms. Um, there's no such thing as perfection. But that doesn't mean that, like, the criticism doesn't warrant, like, forbidding it. It doesn't warrant, like, oh, that this shouldn't be studied, that this shouldn't take in contact. It's just how this is shaped. So, for example, uh, a couple of years, say a couple, several years ago, when we were still in school, there was a sort of a polemics about this very sort of famous children's author, uh, Monteiro Lobato, about mm-hmm. a few books of his that, like, oh, that shouldn't be allowed in school libraries because they were overly, clearly racist, which they yeah. were. It's... I don't even... I'm not even going to say it because it's it's just... It's very racist. It's, like, it's on the nose. Like, it's not... It's not subtle. It's not like, oh, thing. no, it's, it's a very, very derogative way of referring to black characters so yeah. you know it's it's very bad and it's like oh this is censorship this is like but then i, I remember in our classes they were like our, our teacher was saying it was like these books aren't like going to be forbidden and they're being restricted from school libraries it's a very specific context and i think that's a lot of how uh these arguments are they are over construed like oh no they're trying to forbid it and it's like this goes all the way back to our first episode and like my very strong criticism and hate on Ray Bradbury and his conception of how that happens. Because it's not that like, oh, people are forbidding it, they should never be read or something. No, it's all about context. It's all about the way this is shaped. It's like, maybe we're not going to have Montero Lobato for kids or these particular books, but it's not like we're going to stop people from reading it or stop analyzing or stop thinking about it. It's It's a matter of how like, how do we want to shape it? So, like, and I think uh, to sort of push the point a bit further, it's almost like uh, when when people talk about and, and this fallacy, like, oh, people talk about like, oh, uh, people, are, and I'm sure people take advantage of it, but I'd rather go it from a different direction. When they're like, oh, people are like, oh, the, the triggers about everything and whatnot. Let's like. Well, if if a work has like, if it talks about rape, if it talks about extreme violence and gore, like. I think it's fair that some people like just want to know about it before they come into contact with it for personal reasons, taste, or anything really. I, I think that's fair. And yeah. that's not a way of like, oh no, this shouldn't be read, or oh no, this is this is absolutely horrid. And it's just like, I, I want to be aware of it so like because if, for personal trauma or just because it's a difficult subject for me to engage with so I can be prepared for it and it's not comes up in something that is just going to make me feel awful and that I can't handle. Yeah. Really. So uh, I think 
I think that it is something that the historical perspective adds this dimension of like, you know, sectioning these various things off, not to put them in boxes, like, no, this is of its time and whatnot. It's just like adding these various contexts, adding these nuances to the point of like, no, but why are we doing this criticism and how, why does it, why is it here and in what scope it is? It's not like, oh, and I, I, I'm, I'm never going to have a point of like with various restrict like fascism and fascist literature. I think, I think that's maybe where I can easily draw the line. Uh, I'm never going to say like, don't read it and you shouldn't and no one should read it and this is, should be kind of, no. But it, it's all about, well, if you want to or not, it's like, it, it's opening and creating these various possibilities and doors that like have the context, that have the analysis and the care of the criticism to it. That exactly. is like, yeah, no, this is good, but what are also the problems with it, too? Exactly. Like, I am perfectly aware of some of the limitations of my own writing, too, and that's fine, and I'm, I'm working through them, and that doesn't mean that it's... One, it doesn't mean that it's perfect, and doesn't mean it shouldn't be, but it doesn't mean that, like, yeah, no, it, it's a process. Like, I think that's something that's like, none of these things are clear-cut, yeah. The interpretation, the criticism, the writing, it's all entrenched in a myriad of different circumstances and conditions which yeah. make our human existence, yeah. our economic and social realities, our time, our place, what we're thinking about. Our personal what, histories. Yes, our interests. It's yeah. all deeply connected to who we are as a person in time. Uh, connecting the context and the individuality. And the criticism goes through that and needs to consider both aspects. It's what we yeah. try to do. We try to bring in the historical reality and the context to what we're criticizing and why we find it important to criticize while also finding those points today. Like, why do we find it important to go over these texts or these works with these people today? Because we can find various reasons to rethink them at times against themselves, but that we can still take meaning from. It's, it's, <laughs> I was going to say, it's as simply complicated as that. <laughs> because it is, and I find it so fun, because, yeah, it's going to be a mess, and that's fine. It's, it's constant reworking. It's a constant reworking. And we set it in time. And that's also part of our history. Like, yeah, uh, we were talking about it with a group of friends of like, oh, certain positions and stances that we had like six, seven years ago and how horrible they were. Yeah. Like, yeah, we, we grow, we learn. If we are committed to improving, if we are committed not necessarily to uh, abstract progress, but to understanding, to respect, to knowledge, to... Critics, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And in 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 this case, like to 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 everything, to a position, to hope. For me, like that, that's kind of key to the hope of a better world, however that may be. Uh, yeah. This hope is key, and like delving into the past, into fiction and history, is a way of reworking all that in a way that like makes sense. Yeah. 
to my politics, to my literature, to my writing, to my critique, to my analysis today. And yeah, <laughs> that was a that was a very long tangent. I'm sorry, Bruno. No, 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 no. That's that's exactly what what I wanted with this episode because that's the whole the whole fun part of about myths. It's the synthetical little stories that show us a lot about meaning and about how we deal with things and how the the people from the past dealt with things and how similar or how different it is from today and but yeah i i uh, uh, as i said before the episode i as we are maniacs of talking about writing yes. this was really a, a rigged choice <laughs> of a story Definitely. so we can talk about writing anymore talking uh, even more about writing absolutely and like yeah. i went in some directions i did not exp as usual when we're talking about things yeah i go in tangents and directions that are like hmm pretty good didn't expect <laughs> it though didn't plan for it it just yeah. sort of worked yeah yeah <laughs> talking about the nuance of criticism and how like good criticism is that ah <laughs> uh, so much fun so much fun yeah because it's us thinking about our own work like when you talk about criticism, we're also talking about ourselves and the podcast because exactly. it's what we're doing, and yeah. we we are perfectly aware of our of our of our lyricisms, of our limitations. Yeah, but that's fine. Like to give an, another good example, uh, in Portuguese and in Brazil specifically, there's a, and I've said this before because that's a, it's constantly made of a straw man. The concept of like place of speech. Uh, which is like, oh, because you are not of this particular minority, whatever it may be, you can't talk about this. Uh, yeah. The concept itself never says that, never puts that in any way. The concept is basically that, like, oh, you're aware of where you're coming from, of exactly. your conditions of social, economical, race, that you're aware of that when you're talking about these things. Um, and at times, that can mean listen, but it never means, like, oh, uh, shut you're up. forbidden, yeah. Or that you're forbidden, exactly. So, yeah. you know, it's about taking the time and doing these things with care and aware that, like, yeah, we're going to... That's definitely probably happened at some point. We're going to talk something bad, something stupid. But, you know, we're, we're learning, too. And that's why this is a conversation. A conversation between me and Bruno and a conversation between us and our listeners, our guests. It is something... That, that's why I, I love the image of a process because it's yeah. it, 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 it ends when we die pretty yeah. much uh, <laughs> exactly. but until then it carries on and yeah. even if that's the thing like we want to spark these things we want to keep them going we want to raise them up so that we can continue to think about them continue to understand them and work beyond like simplifications as like poor fallacies or straw manning these arguments and positions which will do nothing. Yeah. Will do nothing for us. Yeah. The, 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 the good criticism is the one that takes its time to do the writing and to do the reading. And at times, not everyone can do that. But we're, we're trying to offer this, this patience at times. That like, no, it's not simply about, about what. Well, we're trying to pause it, or at least me. <laughs> uh, and you know, a lot of what I've been doing, writing and thinking about is like, 
how do you understand these matters of representation, of criticism, of history, in light of these questions? And to me, it's about this careful, nuanced criticism and understanding, because it's never going to be one simple thing. And that's never the goal. Like, it's always going to be a multitude of complex and contradictory and difficult things to handle. And that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, so it's been a great journey in this podcast, but now we're going to be cancelled because of your less less uh, <laughs> less phrases. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> uh, <sighs> but yeah, it's been great. I, I love that this episode ended up being uh, even... Uh, I, I thought we were going to uh get more attentive to the nuances of the myth but i i really liked more how it how it got like how it went because it it it's exactly what uh myths are all about of as i said earlier it's almost like an aphorism like uh, <laughs> a a short thing that makes us talk about a, a whole big idea or theory that is really complex yes. so yeah it's been great it has like it was just like uh, uh, uh we were started off so like oh we're, we're mellow we're talking about writing and how that happens and the muse and then we like <laughs> we pivoted to like material conditions politics writing representation <laughs> criticism like yeah. oh my god yeah we can't escape it like we can't. We can't. Yeah. We, we are the left page. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it comes up. So sometimes we got, we gotta gotta reel it in slowly, yeah. and then we're like slowly. But uh, again, again, that's the thing. It's like, oh, oh, you know, these radical lefts. Just we're, we're decent people. We're just trying to understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> trying to understand, and do better. Like that's just. It's simply that. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. And I think we've been doing a good job. Yeah. So, uh, any final remarks before no, I no. take a side of it? Okay. I think, I think we, we covered... Uh, I, I mean, we could talk all day, but actually I have class in six minutes. Yeah, this, <laughs> this has been a morning, a rare morning recording, actually. Exactly, which, yeah. Which I, I, I don't know if I've been more or less erratic. We'll see. I'll see it in edit. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, If you like, you can find us on Twitter at at LeftPagePod. We also have our Patreon with uh, various reading corners, which have been basically times of other works, be it of literature, but not exclusively, where I've taken the time, at least me so far, but Bruno as well, on like writing a, a, a few words about something that has been in our minds or other works that we find interesting and worth understanding and sharing about. Uh, I've recently made a, a public one on uh, Mark Fisher's Capitalist Realism and a bit about my research on Utopias and how I find those things incredibly important and the whole idea of hope for me recently. There's also for a $5 tier, the Poetry Club, which we've been getting on top of things for the last couple of months. Which yeah. is basically we we take the time to like go over poem files that we're familiar or at least for now we we, we want to continue expanding uh, to other works that we find interesting that we we find good like to share a bit of poetry some reading talking about it and making it interesting 
Uh, I yeah. recently also shared it in public our September episode, I think, which was our Baudelaire one, uh, our coming back uh, to the Poetry Club on uh, to a passerby. I put it on the public feed, which was a really interesting yeah. and fun discussion. Uh, I liked it yeah. a lot. So yeah. if you're interested in what that is and why you you if you consider becoming a five dollar patron, uh, please do check that out. See if it's something you're interested, in. or even if exactly. just just for supporting us, just a little bit, a dollar, or anything really. It, it it goes a long way and it really helps. It helps us with what you're do- with what we're doing and in in encouraging us to like do this work, to do this nuanced criticism, to do this analysis, and to take our time and to do with it. Uh, to do it with others, which is something that we've been also working on for a while, that like, what works we also want to talk about, we bring others to talk about, they're important to them, and how can we talk about them together, uh, and why they're good, they're bad, and you know, that whole thing. So, yeah. if you're interested, please check us out at patreon.com forward slash left page. I'm also on Twitter, Bruno as well, uh, I'm more online than him, but, you know, <laughs> someone's gotta be uh, perpetually online, it is the curse. <laughs> So you know it happens, but you know yeah. thank you, Thanks, thank you Frank. for being here. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll take the bullet on that one. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Uh, it's it's been a blast as it usually is, and we should be back soon enough with other more elaborate discussions because even when we try to be mellow, we can't really escape it. There's no such thing yeah. as a light discussion for us. Yeah, uh, they're always fun, but they're never really light. <laughs> Yeah. So, it happens. Yeah, but that's it. That's it. Thank you for being here, and thank you so much for listening. Until the next one.
Wishing on myself